So what happens to a church during a global pandemic? I guess, I guess we're finding out. But if it's anything like what happens in other situations, it's pretty predictable usually. More people, less money. In uncertain times, God has a tendency to get our undivided attention. Isn't that true? Your story, our story. Most of us would say it was during a difficult time. It was uh, an illness or a job loss. Something that we began to pray over about for the first time, you know. Uh, We began to pray after having gone a long time without praying. There's just something about uncertainty that causes us to go eyes up, right? Instead of simply just looking around. So let's do a quick survey. Quick, honest survey out there. If there was ever a time in your life that you look back on and God regained your attention or got your attention for the first time, and it was during a difficult time, a bump in terms of finances, a bump in health or family or something, just, you know, raise your hand if you're in the room with me or type yes in the chat feed. Type yes if God has ever gotten your attention through an unhappy bump. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that hits most of us. We've kind of already been there. Um, it's just the way that it is. So do you remember the story, all of the events surrounding that U.S. Airways jet that safely landed in the Hudson River, in, on the Hudson River? They, they, all these interviews, and, and they made a movie out of it, and I think it was called Sully, and it starred Tom Hanks. One of the interviews I saw featured the crew Uh, They had the pilot, the co-pilot, and a couple of the flight attendants. They're all on this panel, and they're getting asked all kinds of questions. And so the question, of course, eventually arises. It rolls around to what was going on in the cockpit? What was going on in the passenger end of the plane? And so one of the flight attendants was saying, well, it was very, very quiet. And I could tell it seemed like most people were praying. And I thought, Yeah, I bet they were, and it was funny then to hear it. It's funny now to think of that. She said, uh, they're praying, and I'm thinking, yeah, you didn't have to make any sort of announcement for that, right? Attention, this is your captain speaking. Uh, If you will notice, we've banked rather sharply in the middle of a very large city, and if everyone would just go ahead and pray, that would be very helpful. You don't have to make that announcement, right? People who hadn't prayed in a long time, they're all going, uh, hello, uh, I haven't prayed in a long time, whoever's up there, uh, they're counting things, they're rubbing things, and you're just going to pray. It just starts to happen. Isn't this true, right? If you've ever been in this, and okay, if you're a pilot, bear with the rest of us, okay, because we aren't all as courageous as you, and we don't enjoy turbulence as much as you do. But for the average one of us, if you're in an airplane, and there's really bad turbulence, you know, if you've ever flown too close to or through a thunderstorm, there's lightning around, isn't it amazing how spiritual you become? You are You are so focused. You aren't worried about that guy who didn't finish your basement on time. And you're not worried about the stock market. And all of a sudden, you are just so holy. Uh, You're you're the holiest you've ever been. You are in those moments of fear. You are untemptable. Uh, There's no sin that's appealing. So the devil himself could show up and tempt you. And you're like, nope, not even having to try and overcome temptation. I am focused. I am casting out demons. I'm praying with passion, fervor, and focus. 
You're not mad at anybody. You love everybody. You are confessing everything. You are forgiving everybody. When life is spinning out of control, the natural tendency for most of us, and I know it's not all of us, okay, but for most of us, is to go and move in the direction of God. Now, for this reason, God gets more done in the bumps along the way than he does in the smooth, paved roads of life. God gets more done in our lives, and I think God gets more done nationally. God gets more done even internationally in times when there are uncertain times, uncertain things, more done than when it's smooth. So basically, we don't learn anything when things are going well, do we? I mean, we just don't learn anything. It's hard to remember it. You learn the most about yourself and you learn the most about life and you learn the most about your heavenly father when times are difficult. And I tell my kids this stuff all the time and especially as it relates to sports. So they have a bad game and then all of a sudden, lessons can be learned, right? It's really hard to learn from a good game because all your errors are overlooked because, hey, look, we won. woo you learn a lot when you don't play as well. So I said, hey, son, uh, I just think that today you learned more than anybody else on your team today. And he looked at me and he says, uh, thanks, Dad. You probably should have stopped just before that last little application. <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, the point is, when things are fine, we really don't learn anything. And the truth is that most of us, when you think about your time when you drifted from God, you know, if that describes your spiritual journey, you generally drift from God when things are kind of going our way. There could be bad things that make you question God, but did you know that even questioning God, at least you are tuned into and turned into God's direction. And that's why this, this Bible book is more relevant now for us than it's ever been in our whole lives. And I know there'll be some of you who say, okay, you know what? I got to open this, this thing up. I got to open this baby up and check what's in there. And you go, hey, hey, look at that. There's a map in here. It's been a long time since you've read this Bible book. And the reason the Bible is so relevant, and if you're not a Christian or you're not a, a Bible person or a God-fearing person, you're not really committed to any one thing, and your whole view of the Bible was determined in that English class as a freshman, and they sort of uh, wrote it off all as myth or ancient literature, and that's why you were studying it in English class. And Well, you've never gone back to it since then. But I'm telling you, this is the time to come back. Because all of this stuff, all of these stories, it was all written. All of the Bible activities happened in times of significant uncertainty. This is a record of, of God's faithfulness in uncertain times. And this is a record of God's faithfulness to faithless people and God's faithfulness to faithful people. And your favorite Bible story, if you have one, again, all of your Bible story recollections probably come from Sunday school or vacation Bible school, but your favorite Bible story, the one that you know the best, well, it's a story of conflict. It's a story of, oh no, what's going to happen? It's a story of, oh, is God going to come through? It's a story of, oh no, God didn't answer their prayer. And yet this is the record 
of men and women who somehow found God and identified God and discovered God's hand in his activity in the midst of tremendously uncertain times. This is our story. This is a record of what our God does. And if there's ever been a time in your life or my life when this collection of writings is relevant, it's right now. So we launched this series, God Still Has the Whole World in His Hands. And we added the word still because there are times when you look at your life and as we look at our economy and at our health and at our politics and our world and we wonder, is God active at all? Does God interact with the affairs of men? Does God intervene? Is he just out there somewhere? Is he out there at all? And as you come to the scripture, we are reminded that we are experiencing right now from the biblical perspective, what we're experiencing is normal. It's not the new normal. This is just normal. Consequently, we really have nothing to fear because God hasn't changed. And if our Bible is any indication, God is an expert at taking care of his people during uncertain times. And that's why we find over and over and over and over as we read. Last episode, I told you a story at the end of the message, and we talked about very briefly a verse. And I want to put it on the screen right now and read it with you. We're going to come back to this verse next episode also. But this verse sets us up basically where we're going to try and go from today. So here's what it says. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, so that's job loss, that's illness. Uh, Am I going to get into school? Uh, Am I going to find a job? Am I going to have to sell my house? Am I going to keep my scholarship? Well, what's going to happen when we move? Is she ever going to call me back? Are are, are they going to come back? Where's, Where's my son? Where is my daughter now? And we know that in all things, God works, or God is at work for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So the Apostle Paul teaches that he has learned, his lesson he's learned through rigorous, rigorous life experience. The fact, like many of us have discovered in the past, that God is at work. God is always at work. And he gets more done in uncertain times. But here's the question that I want to answer today. And maybe you can relate to this question also. Yes, but what are we supposed to do in the meantime? What are we supposed to do while we wait for God to do something and to answer our prayers? What are we supposed to do when the uncertainty becomes even more uncertain? What are we supposed to do when the bank account gets lower and lower, and lower. What are we supposed to do when fewer and fewer people call us back? What are we supposed to do when we get lonelier and lonelier and lonelier? What are we supposed to do when it just seems to be going the opposite direction of what we think it should be, and when it seems that God isn't answering our prayers? What are we supposed to do in the meantime? And the great news is, We'll see you next episode, everybody. Good night. See you later. Okay, it kind of feels like there's just nothing we can do. But there is a very, very specific answer from Scripture. And now if you have your Bible, in whatever form you have your Bible, I would love it 
if you would follow along in these verses. We are traveling today to the Apostle Paul's letter to his friends in the city of Philippi. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians was a letter that was written to a local church and shared around after that, but written to a local church first. I've got to tell you a little bit about Paul because it's who wrote these verses that makes them so believable. All right, so if, if I were to simply walk in and give you the advice that we find in these verses, you, you, you just wouldn't take any notes, all right? You wouldn't write anything down. You would think, you know what? He just doesn't know what I'm going through, right? He hasn't experienced enough of life yet. He's not seen all that I've seen. But the Apostle Paul, it's his life that gives these verses so much credibility. So let me give you a heads up about what's going on. Paul left Jerusalem after Jesus had gone to be with the Father. And he started starting churches in Europe. Basically, it's what we would call Europe today, which is a really kind of weird thing. So if you can imagine a Jewish man going into a Hellenistic, Greco-Roman society around Europe and saying, hey, I'd like you to believe something that you're going to find really hard to believe. And we're going to kind of start a new belief system. And I want you to abandon everything that you've ever thought about God. And I want to tell you what you should think about God. Oh yeah. Hey, my name's Paul. You've never heard of me. I'm a Jewish guy from Jerusalem. And I'm kind of sort of part of a Jewish cult. So come on, follow me. How in the world Christianity ever made it out of Palestine is just unbelievable. That's so much of a job that I wouldn't want to have had. But somehow he was able to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior, and not just of the Jewish people, but of the whole world. He started with these little churches in what we call Europe. One of the first ones he started was in the town called Philippi. So what happens is he starts this church, and he goes, and he starts other churches, and eventually Paul ends up back in Jerusalem. But he was warned, Paul, don't go back there, all right? The Jewish leaders wanted to put a stop to what he was doing because they felt like he was corrupting Judaism. He was telling people, like us, mostly non-Jewish people, you can worship the Jewish God and you can be loved by the Jewish God, but you don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to eat the right things, you don't have to be circumcised, and you don't have to keep the law. God sent his son to cover all of that. You just accept his son, the Messiah, and you're in. And the Jewish leaders, this just infuriated them. They felt like he was corrupting and he had sort of hijacked Judaism and they weren't going to have any of it. So he goes back to Jerusalem, which is the hub city, right? And he goes into the temple and some of these leaders who he has uh, greatly offended, they see him. And they call for action. A mob attacks him. They drag him out of the temple and they are about to beat him to death. They're just so angry. Well, somebody calls the police who just so happened to be the Romans and the Roman guard shows up and they pull these guys off Paul and they arrest Paul, you know, basically to protect him from the mob. Then these same leaders, they trump up all these charges and they say, you have got to get this guy out of here, right? He's broken the law. He's broken our law. He's offended God. We can't have him around here anymore. So Paul, somewhere 
in all of this brouhaha, this controversy, he mentions to one of his captors, hey, by the way, uh, I'm not only Jewish, I'm Roman. I'm a Roman citizen. This is a game changer. All of a sudden, it's a different set of rules, a different set of laws. And so they decide to send Paul to Rome for trial on these ridiculous charges that really had nothing to do with the Roman government. But they're trying to keep peace in Palestine, and it's always bubbling up and boiling over. So imagine this. Now he's under arrest, and they put him on a ship to go to Rome. And while he's on the ship, a storm comes and blows them out into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. For two weeks, they are lost in the Mediterranean Sea on this ship. And now they imagine sailing in that day and age, but then imagine being chained in the bottom of a ship during that day and age. Two weeks they are lost. Then the storm washes them ashore, and now they're shipwrecked for three months. Shipwrecked, chained to Roman guards, trying to get Paul to trial. Finally, make it to Rome. He's imprisoned in a house and they are so far down on the list for when they're going to be tried that it took over two years for his trial to ever even come about. And that whole time, he is in prison. But while he is in prison, he begins writing letters to all of these churches that he has planted throughout Europe. So this letter that we're going to read, sometimes it's called the Book of Philippians. Well, it's one of those letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And the reason that this is all important is what he's about to say seems extremely impractical. But you really can't argue with the source. Because whatever your difficulty is right now, you wouldn't want to tell your story right before Paul got up to tell his story. Right? Have you ever done that accidentally? You don't want to say, oh, I've had a really hard time. And then you list what's happened to you and then be followed by Paul who walks into the room and says, hold my beer. I mean, hold my ceremonial wine. Now let me tell you about a hard time, all right? I've been stoned, as in rocks thrown at me, just a clarification. Uh, in fact, he got so many rocks that hit him, they thought that he was dead. They left him lying in the field, thinking, hoping that he was dead. That's how bad it was. He was whipped, he was arrested, he was shipwrecked, he was snake bitten, and now he's in Rome awaiting a trial. And he knows that the trial is eventually going to end up in his death. There's no other way. That's what he knows is going to happen. After two years, maybe three, they come to his house and one day they say, hey, Paul, we're going to take a walk. And this was typical of Roman fashion for high-profile prisoners. They walk him outside of town and they go for about three, maybe four miles. He's got a couple of people with him and they beheaded him in private. That was the end of the Apostle Paul. But in the meantime, he has written this letter. And here's what he has to say about uncertainty. And specifically, here's how he instructs us to pray in times of uncertainty. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, to which we say, obviously you don't understand what is going on in my life. Now, if, if he said just rejoice always. We could say, you know what, Paul, obviously this is 2,000 years ago and you have no clue. But he adds these three little words, rejoice in the Lord always. And let me kind of help you understand what that means. If I were to take out in the Lord and put in something else, you would totally get this. What if I said 
rejoice in your new job. Oh yeah, I understand that. Okay, uh, rejoice in the fact that he actually called you back and he's going to take you out again. Oh yeah, I get that. I'm all over that, right? Rejoice in your new car. Rejoice in the stock market turning around. Rejoice in the fact that you got engaged. Rejoice in your scholarship. Rejoice in the fact that you just made the team. All of us know what it's like to rejoice in something. It is to focus on that good news to the point that the emotion associated with that good news begins to wash all over us. And people say, what are you so happy about? And you say, I made the team! What are you so happy about? I got accepted to my dream school. What are you so happy about? I start my brand new job on Tuesday. We know what it means. And here's what Paul says. He says, look, I want you to spend whatever time is necessary to capture the emotion associated with the fact of God's grace and mercy and love in your life. I want you to stop. I want you to allow the reality of what God has done for you. I want you to focus on it so much that you actually begin to feel the emotions that should be associated with such great news. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it again. Rejoice. This means to reflect on God's goodness and mercy in your life until your emotions catch up with that reality. Now, the reason this is so important for North Americans is we don't stop to rejoice in the Lord because we've had so many other things to rejoice about. You come to church and it's like, oh yeah, that's the God thing, yay, go God. But we've got stuff and we've got new stuff and we've got cars and we've got the new latest thing and we've just got so many other things that capture our joy. But as things get harder and harder, and as there are fewer and fewer things and circumstances to rejoice about, Paul says, you know what, maybe it's time to just reel it back in a little bit, okay? And to refocus your joy on probably what it should have been about all along. I want you to pause and discipline yourself and be intentional about learning to rejoice in God's goodness in your life. This is why we sing together in our gatherings. Well, not right now, but generally. The reason that we sing, and some of you love to sing, and some of you love to just sit and listen to others sing, and some of you have been instructed by your spouse that maybe you should just be a listener and not a singer. But the reason that we sing when we gather is these words, these truths in these songs, they remind us. And the great thing about music is that it's, it's emotional. So it becomes an emotional expression, not just a cerebral event, but of God's goodness and grace that we experience. It's why we cheer when people are baptized. The reason we don't just sit quietly and reverently, because we are excited. We are rejoicing about what God has done in their life as a reflection of what he's done in many of our lives. He says, okay, even though I'm in prison, even though things aren't going so well for you right now, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4, 5. This is kind of a surprise. He says, let your gentleness or your character or your kindness be evident to all. Implication, don't let hard times begin to erode your integrity and your character. Don't allow your fuse to get so short because things are so tough that you begin to destroy the relationships with the people you have around you. Things are tough. 
But if your joy is only associated with good times, and if your joy is only associated with good circumstances, then as those circumstances erode, so will your character. And you will become short-tempered. And you will become more difficult to live with. Yeah. Your face will fall and people will wonder, what is wrong with you? And you say, look what's happening over there. Look what's happening over here. But your character is the result of what God has done inside of you. So don't allow circumstances to begin to control the way you treat other people. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That in spite of circumstances, there should be something unique about the way that you treat people and your character. Again, for most of us, our kindness is the result of our circumstances. So when life is kind to me, I will be kind to you. And when life is unkind to me, well, I will use that as an excuse to be unkind to the people around me. And Paul says, come on. You don't want to allow something you have no control over, your circumstances, to take control of your character, which is to be a reflection of God's grace inside of you. Moving right along, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. In other words, God hasn't gone anywhere. Philippians 4, 6. This is the part where I've really got to lean on Paul because I wouldn't walk in here and just sort of announce this, okay? Do not be anxious or stressed out or distracted by your emotions. Do not be anxious about anything. Let me say it this way. Do not be anxious about any thing. Now, that's not very helpful advice, is it? In fact, you hate it. Here's how your friends or your spouse, they, they say, they, they come up to you and they say, don't worry about it. And you just want to shoot them. You've never once said to yourself, oh, you know what? I never thought about that. I'll just, what did you say? Not worry about it. Oh, thank you so much for that valuable advice. Hmm, don't worry about it. I should have thought of that all by myself. Do you have a song to go along with that? Don't worry. Yeah, that is so helpful. In fact, I want to encourage you. Would you just two, maybe three times a day, just look at me and say, hey, stop worrying about it. That helps me. No one has ever been in that spot. You just want to strangle them because you think that the reason it's so easy for you to say to me, don't worry about it, is because you don't really have a clue as to what is going on. And if you heard my sad story, you would be as worried as I am. So Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But he is smart enough to know that you can't leave it there. And in these next two verses, he gives us the secret to handling difficult times without allowing difficult times to control us. These next few verses, he gives us uh, simply a solution or a prescription for what to do during times of extraordinary anxiety and times when things are so uncertain and so unpredictable that we tend to just go inside. We allow our character to erode and we're worried about everything all the time. And he doesn't simply say, Quit worrying. Listen to the rest of the formula. It's so great. And this is totally a spiritual warfare kind of attack posture to practice. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, a marriage situation, 
job situation, school situation, friendship situation, roommate situation, health situation, education situation. In other words, Paul says, what I'm about to share with you is appropriate and can be applied in every single situation. And here it is. Here is what I would like you to replace your anxiety with. Every time you feel overwhelmed with anxiety and every time you are overwhelmed with worry and every time you just start to go under because of the circumstances, here's what I want you to do instead. I'm not simply saying don't worry about it. I'm saying don't worry about it. Do this instead. All right? Implication. That means today. It means maybe when you're driving, maybe this afternoon. It means tomorrow morning when you wake up and, and some of you there's still nothing to do. It means in those moments of anxiety, here is what God would have us to do instead of to replace our worry and our anxiety. So still in verse 6, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, if you read that this way, do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in every situation, pray. You missed the meaning of this verse. But that's how most of us read it. And we, we keep going and we're so disgusted by that idea because we say, pray? Pray? What do you think I've been doing? I've prayed more than I have prayed in my whole life in the last three months. I pray all the time. God, help me, save me, do something, send me someone. And if you're telling me that the answer to my anxiety is praying, that's not helpful. I've been doing that. But I want you to look at this verse again. We'll put it back up on the screen again. In every situation. Now, look at these words. By prayer. But he doesn't stop there, okay? Because that's not what he's talking about. And petition. Well, isn't that the same thing as prayer? Yeah, it really, it really is. But he's going somewhere with thanksgiving. And we all know what that means. We all know how to give thanks. Then he uses a word that's not a prayer word. He uses a word that is usually not even used in this kind of a context. Paul is giving us something that is so important and so rich. That I'm going to try and do my best to explain it. He says, with thanksgiving, and then here's the word, present, which literally means reveal. It's a Greek word usually used within the context of solving a mystery. What Paul is saying, and, and this is substantiated by what, is, what, what, by what follows. Here's what he is saying. Look, I, I don't want you to just pray like, uh, God, please help her to call me back. And God, I'm lonely. That's fine. You know what? Start there. I want you to spend the time necessary because this is what you are going to do instead of worry. I want you to spend the time necessary to understand for yourself and then to reveal to God what it is that you really, really at the deepest level of your heart desire. On the surface, I desire a job, but what do you really desire? On the surface, I need to sell this house. Okay, but what's behind that? What's the driving of that request? I want you to reveal don't just tell God what you want. That's a good place to start. But I want you to reveal to God the deepest, deepest desire of your heart. 
That is the solution. And that is the proper response to times of anxiety. Don't hold it in. So let me just dig a little deeper. In times of uncertainty, it surfaces our deepest insecurities. In times of uncertainty, it loosens up and begins to bring to the surface our greatest fears. Very few of us pray at the level of insecurity and fear. Most of us pray at the level of, here's what I want. Here's what I need. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, God, it's Thursday, so let me just repeat that in case you forget. That's how we pray. Help me to find my car keys. In Jesus' name, amen. And Paul is saying, okay, you can pray that way if you want, but that's not going to help you with your anxiety. And you already know that too, right? You've tried that, and it didn't help. Now, now that you're beginning to sort of feel the earth shake beneath your feet, now that you are feeling things that you've never felt before, now that you're having doubts that you've never had before, I want you to come to God. I say get on your knees. I want you to come to God or get on your face, sit in silence, be in solitude and say, God, here's what I want. But here's why I want it. And here's what I fear. And here's what I fear is going to happen. And to be honest, this is my heart's desire because if you don't, then... He says, I want you to pray and petition. I want you to be grateful. But I want you to reveal to God. Maybe something you have never revealed before. Because perhaps it's not even been revealed to you yet. Uncertainty surfaces my deepest insecurity and my hidden values. And when I move past, help me find a job, help me sell a house, help me close a deal, when I move past all of that, what is behind all of those legitimate requests? Then it comes to the surface. Security. My concern for my family. My need to feel important. My need to be viewed in a certain way by my peers. My need to be viewed in a certain way by my kids. My fear that perhaps God doesn't even know my name. Paul says, come on. I want you to dig that stuff up. I want you to dig it out. I want you to come to God and I want you to spend the time until you have begun to understand your deepest, darkest, most bottom line, most hidden desire, your fears and your insecurities and I want you to move past. Simply, help me please find my keys and help me get into the right school. I want you to bring the stuff that answers the questions. Why is that such a big deal to you? Why are you so concerned about that? Why is that so important to you? Why? Why? What's underneath all of that? I want you to bring that to your heavenly Father. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God. And the peace of God. And the peace, not of all the circumstances. We've all had that, right? Everything went fine today. I've had peace. The kids came home on time. The meal was on time. We all went to bed on time. I've had peace. I had a great date, and I've got another one tomorrow night. I've got peace. He says, no. That's the peace of the world, and that's the peace of circumstances. But the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's the bottom line. Guard, guard, guard means to stand watch over. 
your heart, and your mind. And the reason we are so anxiety-ridden is because we've not invited and allowed our Heavenly Father to stand guard over our heart and our mind. We keep trying to send Him out to stand guard over my job. I want you to stand guard over, over my money. I want you to stand guard over my kids. God says, I want... God says, what, what, what if you allowed me? And, and what if I taught you how to allow me to stand guard over your heart and your mind? What if you could have peace in spite of the fact that there is uncertainty? What if you had peace in the midst of uncertainty? What if instead of being stressed out in those moments of high stress and high, high anxiety, you learned to pray in such a way that at the end of your prayer you found peace? What Paul is saying is this, that in times of uncertainty, we are to pray until the peace comes. That in times of uncertainty, we are to learn to pray until the peace comes comes. We're to stay on our face. We're to stay on our knees. We're to stay in solitude, stay in silence. Not until the world changes, because the world may not change. Not until you are released from prison, Paul, because you might never be released from prison. Not until your kids are perfect and they get straight A's and they go to the school of your choice. That may never happen. But we have the opportunity, because God has promised that we can pray until the peace and we pray until the peace comes, not when we simply say, here, God, here's what I want. But God, here is what I want. And God, here is what I'm afraid will happen if you don't do it. And the reason I'm so afraid is because, I, I, I guess it's because I'm pretty insecure. God, I guess I, I've never really learned to trust you. And God says, now we're praying. If you allow me to take you there, you will emerge into the same world that you came into this prayer with, but you will have something you didn't have before. You will have the peace of God that surpasses all human comprehension. You will have the peace of God which transcends all understanding. I skipped that part of the verse. Did you notice? That surpasses all human comprehension. That means nobody understands it. People look at you and they go, what are you, are you like in denial? I mean, you seem to be okay, so, so things have changed? You go, so, so you sold the house? And you go, no, things are worse actually, the basement flooded. But you seem to be okay. I am okay. But you're not okay because the world changed. You're okay because you changed. And I love what C.S. Lewis says about prayer. He says, I learned that prayer isn't about changing God. Prayer is about changing me. Because you pray until the peace comes. So I want to give you a head start on this. Okay? On the screen, I want to put two lines up. And if, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write these down. Here's a place to start. Number one, Heavenly Father, I need you to. And then fill in the blank. That's where our prayer starts. Heavenly Father, I need you to. Change my son. Heavenly Father, I need you to provide this. Heavenly Father, I need help with my daughter. But the second part is where it gets interesting. Number two, if you don't, I'm afraid that. Fill in your blank. blank. What are you afraid of? Say, I'm not afraid of anything. You go, well, yes, you are. You're, you're afraid to admit that you're afraid to start with. 
So what, what are your insecurities? I'm not insecure about anything. And he, well, yeah, you are. You're just maybe too insecure to know it. Or maybe you've really blanked it out because you are so deeply insecure. It's okay. Heavenly Father, I need you to. And, and, and let me tell you where to begin. Begin with your greatest anxiety. Begin with the thing that you are the most stressed about. Begin with the thing that at any time you have thought, anytime you have any margin of thought or any margin of time, your mind just goes there, right? What about? What if? What's going to happen? What is it you need God to do? And then, God, I'm afraid that if you don't, what are you afraid is going to happen? And as you begin to dwell on the what if, then ask your heavenly father, what is it I am so afraid of? Because your fears parallel your deepest desires. And I'm telling you the peace is available for those men and for those women who will allow their heavenly father to take them to that level of conversation and honesty with their father God in heaven. Paul, the prisoner, he promised it. He experienced it. And you know what? You have sat around people who have experienced this also. So let's just do this, okay? If you're watching and you say, Graham, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've experienced that peace of God in the midst of extraordinarily tumultuous circumstances. If that's you, would you just type the word peace? If you've ever had that peace, just type peace in the chat window. You're not bragging, okay? You're serving. Help encourage your brothers and sisters. Let them know that this is possible. Just type peace. Look at that. See? This, this is still available. This isn't preacher talk. This isn't hocus pocus. This isn't magic. This is God, your Father, inviting you to a new level of intimacy that you may never get to until your world begins to fall apart. So here's a question I wrote for me. You can have it too if you'd like. Have you, have I, made my deepest, most hidden request known to God? Have I ever made my deepest, most hidden request known to God? And do I even know what it really is? When life is uncertain, God is not. He still has the whole world in his hands. And what are we supposed to do in the meantime? We're supposed to pray until the peace comes. God has not lost control. God has not fallen asleep at the wheel. We can be anxiety-ridden, or we can learn to pray until the peace comes. And when you discover that amazing peace that surpasses and just defies human comprehension, you will know your Heavenly Father in a way that you have never known Him before. And you may look back on those circumstances like many people look back on similar circumstances, and you say, you know what? I would never sign up for it again but I wouldn't trade those circumstances. Because what I discovered about myself and what I discovered about the love of my Heavenly Father was too important. When times are difficult, when times are uncertain, our responsibility and our opportunity is to pray until the peace comes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for some of us, this is uh, it's just a reminder for some of us, we think back to that time when, when we were so desperate, we had no place to turn but you, and somehow we emerged from that time alone with you 
but with a peace that didn't make any sense to anybody, not even us. But it was the peace that comes from you, not that peace that just comes from getting what I think I want. Father, for those listening today, and this is a bit new, would you give them the courage to just wrestle with you at the most dead, honest level? the most transparent level that they've ever been at before. And may they discover things about themselves that they've never been able to admit. Maybe they never even knew before. And as they hand those off to you, would you reward their faith and their effort with this peace, this strange peace that comes only from our Heavenly Father? Father, teach us all in this time and Father, we would love for things to turn around. And, and, and Father, we are praying that things will change, that they will turn around. But in the meantime, I pray that you would get maximum mileage out of the uncertainty in each of our hearts. And that we would emerge with extraordinary faith and extraordinary character and extraordinary peace that defies everything going on around us. Thank you for inviting us to have those kinds of conversations with you. I pray that you will give us the courage to begin. In Jesus' name, amen.